Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Evolving Leaders, the show that takes your dreams and passions from unmanageable to achievable. Every week, our panel of experts brings together visionary influencers from around the globe to help you become extraordinary in your business and personal life and expand global change. Put on your seatbelts and get ready to set the world on fire. Hey, and welcome to Evolving Leaders. It's great to have you here. I'm Tina Dietz, one of your fabulous co-hosts today with our guest, wealth expert, Ellen Rogan. Hi, Ellen. Hey. So glad to be here. Glad to have you, my dear. And communications expert, Sharon Saylor. Hi, Sharon. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Tina. My pleasure. Excellent. Today we're gearing up for a phenomenal conversation about women, wealth, and the workplace. But before we do, let me introduce my spectacular co-host and colleague, the love and relationship, relationship, I can't even say it, relationships (laughs) expert extraordinaire, psychotherapist, and host of Miracle Monday's Meditations. You really had to make me say that, didn't you, Tamara? Yes, Tamara Green. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Tina. (laughs) Tongue twister, Tina. (laughs) I'll use that in my voiceover warm-ups. Miracle Monday's meditation. Miracle Monday's meditation. That'd be good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we get into our interviews with our guests, every week we take turns sharing a piece of news for what we'd like to think of as a no-holds-barred round-robin discussion. And this week, uh, I found an interesting piece that kind of got me thinking and love to get the feedback and get a conversation going here about it with our fabulous panel. In the Washington Business Journal this week, they reported on a Capital One business survey, and one of the findings was a gender gap in optimism among small business owners in particular. So 44% of male small businesses or business owners believe that current business conditions are excellent or good. Percent of female small business owners believe current business conditions are excellent or good. So far more women, the fairly, you know, more than 10% they consider a more a fairly significant finding. So what what's your take on this gap in optimism? Do you think it's a fluke or do you think that that's something that um you know you would say really does exist between uh, in, in the genders and small businesses? Um Tamara, why don't you why don't you give me your thoughts on that? Well, you know, it it's kind of interesting. I, I was sort of surprised when I read that because um yesterday I was reading how what huge challenges women have, especially entrepreneurs and small business owners, you know, with trying to get loans uh and um uh, startup uh, funding. They really had a, a a tremendously difficult time compared to their men counterparts. So I was uh, actually surprised to to read their level of optimism, but it's so good to hear. Hey, maybe here's the answer. Women are just more optimistic. How about that? (laughs) It would be interesting to see if that really did kind of uh, measure across different different professions or different industries, not just small business owners. I I agree for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ellen, do you have any thoughts on this topic? Yeah, so boy, is that interesting. I would also wonder if women are more optimistic, but it got me thinking, you know, women business um, women business startups are enormous part of our economy. Um, I believe the statistic from the National Organization of Women Business Owners is that if you add up all the women businesses together, we'd be like the five largest nation in the world mm. for how much revenue we produce. And I am wondering <laughs> if it's because women are – the ones that are forming their businesses are doing it based on what they so want to put out in the world and and really want to give back and also, you know, certainly make a profit from it. But maybe it's because they love what they're doing more than their male counterparts. And I think when we're happy, we see things in a better light. I'm just speculating on that, but it feels pretty authentic to me. Interesting. Sharon, you know, what about you? What are your thoughts? Oh, I was surprised when I read that, too, because that is a big difference. 
but I agree with the thought that a lot of times women, we start businesses from our passions and to create a better life for ourselves and our families. And you have to be pretty optimistic to take that leap, to go out there and, you know, really believe in yourself to take that leap. Now, that's not saying that men don't do that, but I think they do it a little more pragmatically than women. Women tend to start businesses much more out of a a passion, a love, and I find that men start more from a pragmatic type of idea of, like, here is is an absolute idea and I'm going to follow this till the end. And so it could just be a difference in styles, too. That's a really good point. So we got to follow up on the topic. I was uh, looking for some other follow-up information um, around this kind of, you know, gender gap. And this isn't really so much a, a gap issue, but I did find that the, um, a survey from the Women's Presidents Organization that came out recently, uh, going back to what Ellen just said a moment ago about women startups and women-owned businesses uh, comprising a significant number in the economy now, um, especially here in North America, this is really interesting. Um, the Key Bank Key for Women program found that the members in this uh, Women's Presidents Organization generated an average annual revenue of $13.2 million with an average of 92 employees. And uh, compensation was expected to rise. And one of the things that really stood out for me was that 65% of these business owners were planning to increase employee salaries uh, three to ten percent in the next year. Uh, so this is kind of interesting to me because not only are these businesses owned by women growing at a relatively exponential rate, but they're also planning on raising the employee salaries as the business grows, and that's not always the case. Do you think that? Um, and this is completely speculative, and yes, you guys have some numbers. Do you think that women-owned businesses? have any advantage to their employees? In, are, are you asking in terms of financial advantage or, or life advantage? Well, you know? let's, let's take a look at that. I think we could take a look at that in, in, in either sense because here we're talking about some financial numbers. It's much harder to measure uh, some of the lifestyle pieces that might come into play. But, you know, what, what's, your, what's your experience of that? Alan, if you got some thoughts. Yeah, I would um, – just say as a woman business owner, I can't imagine not giving my employees raises unless the economy was just terrible or my business was failing, which, thank God, has never been the situation. I mean, I would I, – it, it, it's like it, the fact that this is even a question, I was like, well, of course. And apparently I'm not the way everyone thinks. So I think that as a woman um, just in business, because we personally have so much to juggle, whether it's our families, our kids, our partners, maybe parents, our employees, um, we feel a, respon- a sense of responsibility that we, have, um, would, of course, would want to reward our employees. And I would also say um, I'd like to believe that we're a bit more conscious in terms of lifestyle and understanding about what goes on in people's lives as their employees. And as long as they're doing great work, that we'd want to support them in and outside of, their biz- of our businesses. Yeah, I would I would definitely concur with that. Um, and uh, uh, any different experience, uh, Tamara, or is yeah. your experience been the same? Well, um, as a psychotherapist who has worked with hundreds and hundreds of couples, it's clear uh, that women tend to be more of the givers. Um, it, you know, I'm I'm not generalizing, but I you know I tend to really. Uh, Notice that, um, so it it makes sense that it would um, be true in this sense of business as well. You know, just kind of like what Ellen was saying. We, you know, we really do contribute. We're responsible for kids and taking care of things. So we're caretakers. We're givers. That's what we do. So it makes sense to me that that's happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sharon, uh, would you would you also concur? Well, I'd like to know the numbers of they had done that for men, too. What was the findings that men were planning on giving raises and what was their beliefs about that? But in general, the work that I do is often with women in larger corporate structures in middle management and upper management, and I do find that they approach their teamwork differently. 
they speak a lot of the we of the team. And the guys that I coach in that upper management level usually start the phrases out with I. (laughs) And they talk about their team as ancillary or their support system, where the women talk about the team as a whole. They probably did the initiative. uh, They probably had the same effect as their male counterparts, but they use the word we a lot. So it doesn't surprise me that even that would happen in the startup and entrepreneurial world that women would take into account the well-being of all of their employees and want to share, uh, including sharing the wealth. Sharon, I want to ask you a follow-up question on that um, and then maybe have the others chime in as well. Um, specific to um, to bounce off what you're just saying there, and yes, I would love to see the numbers on men as well. I actually wasn't able to find one that kind of broke that out um, uh, at least not a recent one. So I'm curious about that as well. But in terms of the communication style that you just mentioned, do you think that um, there is, with the rise of the global workplace, with the rise of working from home and telecommuting and um, a lot more people being contract rather than traditional employees, a lot of people managing teams remotely or across many different countries, do you think that that we mindset or that team mindset is an advantage that women can um, can kind of claim? Well, it's, it can be an, it's one of those double-edged swords. It's an advantage and disadvantage. It, the we mindset is great for creating loyalty and creating a common vision. However, oftentimes... It's much harder to get your team recognized as uh, men when they tout from the I version of the behavioral spectrum. They're seen as a greater success. And so it's just a matter, I think it's really more a matter of style and you have to have the right people. Some people like to follow a very strong leader, the I type of leader, and other people like to follow the community type of leader, the one who brings us in as a we. So there's a lot of dynamics that go on, and we can't just generalize that one type of team is more successful than the other, and whether it works better globally or from home base, like uh, a diverse team versus a team that would be meeting every Monday, say, in in a boardroom. There's so many dynamics, and the personality styles of each member of the team is really what creates success the success more than just one particular leader or their communication format. Very cool. Uh, uh, Tamara or uh, Ellen, do you, would you like to add on to that or any personal experience you'd like to share? This is Tamara. I'm, I, maybe um, after what Sharon said, there's more uh, what what am I trying to say? There's more of um you get a choice now. You get to choose if you want to work with that I type leader or the we type leader. And it's nice to have more options out there, you know, for the working person. Yeah, that does that does bring up a, a whole other conversation about, you know, if people are mobile and they are um have more mobility in their careers, whether they're working for somebody else or working for themselves, because we have probably more mobility now professionally than we have at probably any other time in history, I would have to venture a guess in saying, um, then that certainly creates a demand for talent and um a demand uh for uh, like you're saying, Tamara, more choices um, in the workplace. Then, um, now, Ellen, you I just wanted to get one more uh, comment from you before we we go to break here. Um, uh, is there anything is, that you'd like to to add on to that? Well, when you said team, it got me thinking about the fact that I think women now, younger women coming up who have had, at least in the United States, Title IX and been able to be on sports teams, that actually I think they have a a really great advantage um, that will get them ready for the workplace to be part of a team in a different way than maybe 
um, their moms who really weren't playing sports in high school, and I think there's some and and been coached and some really wonderful things about that. So that's just what was coming up for me when you were talking teams before. Yeah, good point. Good point. Thank you for that, and thank you guys for for participating in that conversation. We are going to be right back with more from Ellen Rogan talking about women and wealth here on the Evolving Leaders Show. But first, I'm going to hand it over to Tamara. Thank you, Tina. So Jill Fisher has a technique in hypnotherapy that is so effective. You will see your hopes, your wishes, your goals actually come into fruition just like she did for me. Oh, my gosh, it really was amazing. So I've seen it. I've experienced it. It truly is. um, She is so talented. So join Jill Fisher at PowerfulHypnotherapy.com for a free consultation to help you reset your mind to the success you've always wanted. Tina, over to you. Oh, it's still all you, my dear, but I'll oh. go ahead and jump in. <laughs> I thought it was you. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, you know, I, I, it's all about you, so I'm going to talk about you. I want to talk about you. Okay. So. <laughs> I'm going to say wonderful things about Tamara because she's awesome. So you know all of you out there who are leaders, you know that if you don't have one or even if you do, that it's time to start your meditation practice or if you already have one to make it more robust. So you want to make it easy for yourself and join the Miracle Mondays meditation. See, I said it right this time. The Miracle Mondays meditation community where all members receive complimentary weekly guided meditation audios right to your email. You know how important it is to develop good habits, and this is a phenomenal habit to develop. These meditations are perfect for the beginner, powerfully transformative for the intermediate and advanced as well. So just make it easy for yourself to start your meditation practice It's wonderful to have Tamara right in your inbox to help you every week reach your goals and stay stress-free with beautiful meditation. Join now at TamaraGreen.me. And Tamara, bring on the Ellen. (laughs) Thank you, Tina. That was nice. Ellen, I'm so excited to be interviewing you today because I have been following your work and and I really am very, very honored and excited to be interviewing you today. Hi, Ellen. Hello. Thank you, Tamara. So let me talk about you. Ellen Rogan is a co-author of the New York Times bestselling book, Picture Your Prosperity, Smart Money Moves to Turn Your Vision. Into Oh, sorry, Smart Moving... Smart Money Moves to Turn Your Vision into Reality. Chock full of left-brain credentials, an NBA, CPA, and certified financial planner, Ellen also walks on the right side, yay, balancing values, visualization, meditation, and humor with her professional training. A speaker, author, and financial advisor, Ellen is as comfortable talking about the power of compound interest as she is the power belief. She shows you how to achieve more prosperity in every area of your life, and it's easier than you think, and we're going to hear all about that. And she's at ellenrogan.com. So I'm going to start off with when I saw this, I was just jumping up and down for joy. I saw your TEDx talk on the surprising way to teach your kids to be smart with money in Ellen, it was brilliant. I loved it. Thank you. So what can we do to make kids smart with money? So uh, people typically go to um, traditional ways of thinking about money, which are awesome. I'm glad when anybody does anything conscious with their kids around money. So people usually think about things like allowance, which is awesome, and maybe taking them to a bank and opening a savings account. Um, What I like to suggest is that they – that parents realize, first of all, your kids are getting money messages at an age much earlier than you could possibly imagine. So um, possibly even from, like, conception to age seven is when many of their money beliefs come into play when most people think, oh, my kids are too little to even know anything about money. And these beliefs play over and over so that when you end up being an adult, even if you have um, all the best intentions, you might not be able to act on them as efficiently. So... Um, so the first thing I would recommend for parents to do is to know that kids are like little sponges and they're picking up every money message. 
you know, one of the ones that I think about from when I was little is I saw my dad going off to work and my mom staying home with me. It was pretty common back then and traditional. And as an adult, when I got into the financial profession and always fascinated with people's money personalities, I started to kind of unpack mine a little bit and realized that I had this unconscious belief that making money was my husband's job solely and that I wasn't even supposed to do it, which made no sense. I mean, at that point, you know, by the time I was 28, I had my own business. I was an MBA, a CPA, a certified financial planner. I had, like, all these credentials. And yet I was thinking, like, oh, that doesn't really make sense for me to do that subconsciously. And I keep thinking back, you know, now I have a successful business and several businesses actually. And I really wonder if I hadn't realized that I was walking around with that belief, if I would have been able to accomplish what I have today. And and, and I'm thinking for me, the answer probably would be no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then how did you actually realize that belief? And then how did you actually shed it or yeah, so um, some of it was a little bit of a wake-up call for me. I remember being, you know, again, I think in the first year of my own business, I'd been a financial advisor for a couple of years, and I heard my husband on the phone talking to his dad about how he bought another piece of real estate. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I'm married to you. How did I not know this? And it was not blaming my husband because I don't know if he tried to talk to me about it or not, but I was so focused on other things. And, you know, I, um, and so it was a wake-up call. Here I am, a financial advisor, and there's some major financial decision happening in my household that I wasn't even aware of. And um, so being someone who tries to take personal responsibility for everything in my life, I'm like, okay, like, what's this about? And then I actually really did some ex- exploration about, like, what is it that I believe about money? You know, most of the time I think... People are pretty unconscious. They just kind of go through their money lives um, just believing, seeing what they believe about money is just a truth. Um, The co-author of my first book, I remember saying to me that her dad always told her that you never spend principal, never spend principal, never spend principal. And maybe that's a good recommendation or maybe it's not, but to her it was the truth. And sometimes maybe it doesn't actually serve you or maybe you believe I don't have a head for money, or it's boring, or it's too hard, or um, some of these other things, which are just just beliefs. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of shedding it, now I, I'm I'm really curious if this is because you know we talked in your uh, when I was talking introducing you, you had your left brain credentials, but you also have your right side right. that you work with. So what was it that actually helped you release that belief? Because obviously you did because you're quite successful today. Yeah, so um, sometimes it can be as easy as knowing you have a belief operating that just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So the aware- It can be that easy. You know, I suppose that there's beliefs in there that are so ingrained and we have to do a little deeper work on it. I've been through all sorts of personal development seminars and things, and I'm a big believer in constantly growing. And I also know that sometimes you can just look at a belief and go, well, that's just stupid. It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) And it can be that easy. Um, One of the things, the strategies that I share in the book and when I'm giving presentations is if you catch yourself thinking a thought that is not serving you, um, one of the things I say to myself is cancel clear. So cancel that thought, clear it away, and and then replace it with something you prefer instead. So um, there are all sorts of wonderful methods for clearing beliefs, but I also think that sometimes people walk around with the belief that it's hard to clear beliefs. <laughs> yes, <laughs> true. <laughs> And so one of the, like the mantras I try to live by is it can be that easy, right? It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be hard. It can be right. easy. Isn't it interesting how we make so many things so hard when it really isn't, but we really are, I guess, programmed to believe that it's really tough to change. Yeah, it's right, hard. Right, right. I love cancel and clear. I'm going to remember that one. My my personal one is point of creation, point of discreation. Like go right to that point that it was created energetically and then go right there and discreate it. Right. But I like that. Cancel clear. Well, and maybe this is um, some great tips that 
um, when I was reading your blog about calm, C-A-L-M, it was just such great advice. And I was wondering if you can share that because it's, it's along the lines of what we're talking about. And I guess when you work with people, you, you probably are really using your left brain credentials to crunch numbers for their business, but also the right side. So can you share what C-A-L-M means, calm? Oh, my goodness, Tamara, you may have to help me with this a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> claim, claim what you desire. That's the C. Right. right. So can you talk about claim what you desire? Yeah, so what this do you mean? is being clear on what you so most want. I think a lot of times people focus on what they don't want, right? Mm-hmm. But, but I know personally, and I've seen it with clients in this process of creating a, a, a prosperity picture, the idea is getting super crystal clear on what it is that you truly desire, Mm-hmm. And it helps you find ways to make it happen so much easier, more easily, right? So um, the TED Talk, for example, I had um, on my goals list for a while was to do a TEDx talk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I tried and it didn't work. I put in some proposals and it didn't work. And because it was in front of me, it was actually on my prosperity picture, literally a picture of the things I want to create in my life, I um, had TEDx. I noticed when an email came through my box for um, someone who was talking about doing a TED Talk or creating TED Talks, and it turned out she was a TEDx coach. And that led me, so I was paying attention, led me to creating what I want. So the more clear you are, the easier it is to create what you want in your life. It's Again, it can be that easy. Yeah, and, and before we move to the next one, if we can just stay with this one for a little bit. So Whenever, maybe you can coach me right on the spot, whenever I really desire something, oh, my God, the fear just goes way up, you know? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, you must have been kind of a little bit scared just thinking about it, or maybe not, because you're No, I totally was. And and for a while, you know, it's good to go back to beliefs. When I first thought about it, Mm -hmm. I was like, "Mm," there was a lot of limiting beliefs, like, "Mm, I don't really think I'm you know, big enough or smart, well enough, you know, smart enough or good enough as a speaker or whatever to do this. And, but I kept it in front of me. And I remember meeting someone at a National Speakers Association meeting who's like, oh my God, I did one. I just put in a request. I got really clear and I did it. And when you, when you, you realize that people have lots of information and talents, but they don't, they're not more, um, they're not more talented than you or Mm -hmm. have better information. So a lot of it is confidence. And, Tamara, it probably was um, limiting beliefs of like, oh, I'm not ready, or they won't want my talk, or can I really do this, or it seems really scary. And maybe for me, it took me knowing I had a coach to walk me through the process mm-hmm. of actually creating a TED Talk mm-hmm. that helped me create a proposal that was one that was resonant with the organizers. Ah, that's smart. Using a mentor, not doing things alone. That makes a lot of sense, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the next one is A for appreciate, appreciate oh. what you have, right? So and this is so that. huge, and it's such a great stress reducer. You know, this whole idea of calm. So when people have um, anxiety, anxiousness, angst around money issues, it's really hard to make good decisions. And... Um, there are studies that actually have shown that when people are super freaked out about money, they're in a really, really difficult financial situation, their IQ can actually drop. Oh. So you become unable to make a good decision. Wow. And one of the really easy, great ways to reduce your stress level is to notice what is working for you, what you're thankful for in your life. You know, there's a lot of research, and I'm sure many of the listeners have heard about the benefits of gratitude. But the, you know, when you practice this and you can focus on what is working, it helps you reduce your stress level. Like in the depths of the recession, I, uh, you know, whenever I would get scared, I'd go, okay, I've got a roof over my head. I have clients. I have food on my table. Everyone's healthy in my house. Like, whew, you know, big exhale from, from focusing on what we can appreciate in our life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gratitude has literally uh, saved marriages in my practice. It's, mm. it's a powerful one. L, listen to your inner guidance. Yes, so why is it, especially with money, that people don't believe they know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think I blame my industry a lot. The financial services industry has really set things up for people to feel like they don't know enough. Like there's all sorts of jargon and they make it seem super hard and there's all this stuff on the media about conflicting ideas. And, um, you know, it, it... the right brain side of things, 
doesn't get honored enough, this listening to your intuition, to trusting your good judgment. It doesn't mean that you have to do all this on your own. I mean, I'm a CPA and I have several accountants that work, you know, that I hire. I don't want to do that. So, and I wouldn't have a financial advisory practice if everybody wanted to do it on their own. And I want my clients and the people that I speak in front of to just know that they have guidance in there that will guide them in the right direction if they trust it. Mm. Love it. Absolutely love it. And this is where, you know, a meditation or some kind of spiritual practice really comes in handy, right? Absolutely. It really helps you tune in. Love that. And the last one is M, which is move. Move your feet. Take action. This is the taking action part, right? So we talked about, and I do talk about meditation as another great way to calm things down. And these are more right brain things that we've talked about. And we live in a material world. We have to take action. So I see this a lot with people that are more creative, maybe more in the healing professions, maybe someone who's been brought up thinking that, oh, someone else is going to handle money for them. You you all have the ability to do this. And in addition to having the right mindset and being appreciative and grateful, you need to take action. You need to spend less than you earn. <laughs> you need to start investing your money. You need to be conscious of what's going on if you really want to have success in the material world, which you may say, oh, there's something tainted about that. The deal is we do live in a material world, and if you want to make a difference in the world, it's a lot easier to do it if you have the financial resources to help you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's that's great. Uh, you've given really great advice, Ellen, as usual, and I am definitely not going to uh, forget the cancel clear one. I like okay. that one a lot. Good. <laughs> Thank you so much. My pleasure. Great. So um, today we have Ellen Rogan and Sharon Saylor with us, and now I'm going to turn it over to Tina for some contributions. contributions we have indeed so are you tired of working hard and not getting the results that you want this is a common refrain are you fed up with so-called experts who don't seem to walk their talk and i'd invite you to consider what if your life and business was an oasis a source of refreshment and nourishment for you as well as your clients and customers Now, you can have a business oasis, and I know because I've helped small business owners from around the world bring their business oasis into reality, and I've done the work myself. I created time and money freedom for my family, and now we get to live internationally in beautiful places like Costa Rica. So if you want to fulfill your dreams, even if you don't have dreams of travel like we did, your version of an oasis, don't wait for it to happen. Find out the keys to creating your business oasis, the same fundamentals that I use with my clients to create freedom and success. So whether you want to travel the world, have more time and money to enjoy life, expand your business success, or whatever your dream is, you can start bringing your dreams into reality right now. So just visit www.yourbusinessoasis.com to find out more. That's www.yourbusinessoasis.com yourbusinessoasis.com. All right, and now I am absolutely tickled to bring Sharon Saylor back with us to talk about communications because Sharon is an international communications trainer, speaker, and the best-selling author of seven books, as well as the CEO of the strategic communications firm Competitive Edge Communications, which is a company devoted to teaching professionals around the world how to be courageous leaders using critical communication skills. Her book, What Your Body Says and How to Master the Message, has been translated into six languages and is used in universities around the world. And Sharon is also the host of the very popular Life Interrupted radio show on the E-Woman Network. Sharon, thanks for coming on with us today. Oh, my pleasure. I'm thrilled. Yeah, I love your work. I love your book. It's one of the I got rid of most of my books when uh when we kind of developed a mobile lifestyle, but your book is one that I keep uh um preciously on a bookshelf in one of my uh in one of my homes. So, <laughs> it's really great. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Now, your work encompasses a very comprehensive view of communication, both verbal and nonverbal. So, I'm just going to dive right in here because uh, in 15 minutes, I want to just have as much from you as we possibly can get for our listeners because you're just such a wealth of knowledge. 
in the world of leadership, what are the top communication skills that in your perfect world you would want all leaders to have? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I think the first one is understanding some very simple nonverbal communication skills. That This isn't rocket science. Once people try them, they get immediate response from other people, and they're like, oh, that's easy. And the first one, and I know it sounds so simplistic, but once I mastered this one, my world changed. And that was thing. And I know everybody's like, breathing? Yeah, breathing. Too often, especially here in uh, the U.S., and I noticed it in Canada, and I just got back from Europe. They do it there, too. And we're in, locked in fight-or-flight breathing. That has become the norm, and that is high, rapid breathing. And what happens is we're in a low-level state of fight-or-flight all the time. If that's your norm, you're constantly stressing your systems, your adrenal systems and your, all your other, your vagus nerve, all your fight-or-flight systems, to be on red alert. And I was listening to Ellen talk about when she was saying how the IQ actually drops and one of the things that I want, I made a note was the re, one of the reasons is if we're locked in high breathing, we can't think as clearly, and what happens is our IQ actually drops. So let's all just nice deep for a quick second. I mean, it only takes two or three nice deep full breaths down there, 360 breathing where you feel your rib cage expand and your belly, yeah, your belly expand. That's <laughs> and okay. it's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, just a couple of quick breaths, and you'll feel your head start to clear, your ears start to open up, a whole new way of observing the world. Your peripheral vision expands when you breathe. It's amazing. And that's what allowed me, for years I was locked in, in high rapid breathing. My beloved mentor kept saying, Sharon, breathe. Remember to breathe. And I knew it at some, at a deep level, but it was just such a pattern, a habit, but once I got yeah. out of it, the whole world changed. That's such a, a, a beautifully elegant piece of advice, Jeremy. I, and I, it, I have to admit, it is not the answer that I thought you were going to give at all. And I'm so glad you <laughs> did because I hadn't really thought about that. Is That is what keeps us at that um, that low-level response, that fight or flight, that fear or flee um, kind of thinking we make some very different decisions in that space rather than being in a space of creativity or possibility or, you know, clear thought. So that's, that's really key. Is there another one that, that comes to mind by any chance? Well, let me follow up just for a quick second on that because it's not granted what I said about, you know, it's great for us physically, but also our breathing is the number one thing that you're judged on. People often say, oh, my goodness, you know, they didn't make eye contact, they didn't do this or that. Actually, when you walk into a room, unconsciously everybody's going, now they're not saying this out loud or even in their conscious brain, but they're like, how is that person breathing? And if you're breathing high and rapid, it activates their fight or flight mechanism. So that's why you can see a very quirky person walk into the room and you might all be going, well, that's kind of quirky or they're kind of unusual. Or, but why aren't we afraid? Because that person's breathing comfortable and it doesn't activate our fight or flight mechanism. So there again, <laughs> it's really important. Wow, that, that's a very subconscious mechanism. I, that sounds incredibly important because is. really – if we're trying to view somebody as a leader, the last thing we want is to have that leader put us in a state of fear. The whole point of leadership is to reduce fear. Well, true. Although I yeah. have to always say, there's a, to me, all behaviors are good. It's just knowing when to use them. Now, sometimes I, I'm not opposed to leadership by fear. It depends. If you're yelling fire and there really is a fire, that's leadership by fear, right? <laughs> Well, that's a good I'm point. Not, There's a place for it, but usually a boardroom, not yeah. so much. Yeah. Right, exactly. So it's the knowing what behaviors to use when. So I'm always in favor of having uh, the appropriate behaviors when you need them. Another one that I see a lot of people get wrong, and it's such a simple fix, is what you do with your chin. That um, really affects not just the nonverbal impression that you give, but the verbal impression as well. Oh, say some more about that. Where where should our chins be? 
I know it sounds kind of odd, but I'll explain how it solves a multitude of problems when you keep your chin parallel to the ground. It's, it's as simple as that. Knowing where your chin is in space at all times is important. If you keep your chin parallel to the ground, you will look more confident and you will sound more confident. And the reason is, first off, the chin parallel to the ground doesn't keep your nose like up in the air, right? And so what do we often say? A snap judgment is, oh, they're stuck up or snooty. Chin parallel to the ground keeps us from tucking our chin and looking introverted, shy, scared, any of those sort of negative things when we drop our head. Chin parallel to the ground keeps us from tipping our head left to right. Now, as women, not so much as men, there's a gender bias here. As women, when we tip our head, and we often do this listening, when we tip our head left or right, we can be assumed to be submissive. Now, that's not saying that we are submissive. That's just the other person sees the head tipped left or right, and it's a common misjudgment that all of a sudden you're in a submissive state. So if you're tipping your head left and right and you're wondering, why are they treating me this way? I'm trying to sound in control, in charge. I'm facilitating this meeting or doing that. Where's your chin? The other thing that happens when we move our chin, like say up, I'm going to do it right now, and you can hear the quality of my voice change. Now, one of the things, complete politics aside, but I'm going to use someone we're all familiar with just as an example. Great. And that's Hillary Clinton. Clinton. Now, the problem, people say she's always angry. Well, I don't know her. I can't make that judgment. But from a body language, vocal communication perspective, the physiological perspective, she holds her chin too high most of the time, which makes us sound angry when we hold our chin too high because we are not breathing properly. Hold your chin really high for just a second and try and talk, and you'll feel how hard it is to breathe completely, fully, and naturally. Okay, that, that's the, those are two phenomenal tips. I'm going to take those forward myself because I do notice that uh, when you're, especially when you're on the phone or or sitting in front of the computer, your chin can definitely get away from you. We do some strange things with our <laughs> head postures when we're sitting uh, at our in our offices, and that is going to carry over when we're in meetings or uh, in, uh, even on a stage or, or you know, and, and just meeting with people. So. Being aware of where our chins are in space at all time and breathing deeply. That's, those are phenomenal. And those are so easy or at least simple to, um, to experiment with implementing. Thank you for that. Um, now, I want to follow up that with, a, with a conversation because we talk, started to talk a little bit about uh, how women are perceived, you know, tilting the head, uh, that, that sense of uh, being perceived as submissive or having your chin up, people being perceived as angry. There was an article that went viral from the Washington Post that was going around social media just the other day. I'm not sure if you saw it, Uh, but it was called uh, Famous Quotes um, by uh, the way a woman would have to say them during a meeting. And kind of the point was that is this, uh, this frustration that I hear from so many of my colleagues, I know I've experienced it in the past, where a woman wants to be just straightforward and have the meeting and be able to be in straight communication and the sense that you have to kind of really massage the communication so that you come off as, you know, soft enough or, you know, nice enough or something like that. So, for example, uh, one of the quotes that they gave an example of was, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. And the example of a woman in a meeting, how she would say it is, I'm sorry, it really feels to me like we're all equal, you know. I just feel really strongly about this. Uh, <laughs> and there was a very strong emotional reaction to this article uh, and uh, so many women relating to this. Um, as women leaders, how can we, what can we do to up our leadership communication in a way that lands with people a way that's powerful and straightforward so we can, you know, move things forward and not have to kind of put all of this, well, you know, I, 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 that happens so often with women, especially in, in meetings. 
Oh, we're going to get me on a rant that's much longer than the time we have. Oh, <laughs> let me jump in. You can always it. bring you back. You can always bring you back. Okay. The the first part of that is, as uh, Ellen was pointing out, about finances is your mindset. It's critically important not to use language softeners. Women are taught from an early age to use language softeners, such as, well, you know, I'm not sure about this idea, or, you know, I was just thinking those are language softeners. If you're thinking it enough to say it, just say it. You rarely find men using language softeners. And the other part of that is this idea of when you're okay saying it, You'll be breathing correctly. Your voice will sound clear. Your ideas will be formed clearly because you have enough oxygen to keep that IQ up. But the first part of this happens is you're not okay saying it. And if you're not okay saying it, no one else is going to be okay hearing it. So you need to have the mindset of this is a good idea, this is the right idea, and I have as much skill and as much permission to say my idea as anyone else in the room, regardless of gender. And that's where we get ourselves in trouble. As a gender bias that we have, too, is we apologize all the time for stuff we did not do. I just want to sort of get on my rant of uh, slapping people silly when I hear them apologizing for stuff that is not their fault. Now, this might be a little vivid, but I always like to say, if you didn't kill their cat, don't apologize. <laughs> That's great. Darren, thank you so much for that tip. I know you and I, we could definitely go on about this longer. Maybe we'll bring this back in the leadership couch here in just a minute. But before we go to break, I want to make sure that everyone knows that they can go to SharonSailor.com slash body language gift because Sharon has a lovely, lovely jam-packed book for you on the five little-known things that affect how others see you and the power that moves the power moves you need to master your nonverbal message. So if you are interested in shifting your nonverbal communication to be perceived uh, the way you want to be perceived, go check out this book from Sharon at SharonSailor.com slash body language gift. And Sharon, thank you for joining us and for your information here today. We are going to uh, head over to Tamara. Thank you, Tina. And thank you, Sharon. My, my chin is now parallel to the floor as I'm talking. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so, hey, did you like the theme music for the show? If you don't remember what it was in the beginning, make sure you tune in at the end of the show. You'll hear it again. It was created by David Dashinger of ddmusic.com. David is a Grammy-nominated composer whose music has been heard by over 1 billion viewers on TV shows like the Super Bowl, the Masters, NCAA March Madness, CBS News, and the NFL. To elevate your media to the next level, to supercharge the quality of your videos and audios, and to upgrade your branding, you'll want original music that's aligned to your message. So contact David at ddmusic.com. He creates music that reaches people's soul. So true. And do you have an important message? Wait, I'm sorry. Let me say that again. So do you have an important message or project that should reach a broad audience? Fastest way to do that is by connecting you with people who can really get your message out there. Ignite your business with the Wildfire Academy free training. Go to Flame to Fame in four weeks. It takes you step-by-step through a proven strategy in how to get connections and endorsements from highly influential people in your field, moving from local word of mouth to wildfire epidemics. So sign up at wildfireacademy.com. And with that, I'm just going to go right into our leadership uh, question section of the uh, the last section of the show, and this is a really fun, you know, just imagine we're all sitting on the couch having some tea or wine or whatever and uh, just having a conversation. So 
I'm going to throw it out there. I'm going to be really vulnerable and ask everybody else to be really vulnerable and ask what was that most embarrassing thing that ever happened to you having to do with money or communication or or whatever. And I'm going to start with my own example so you have an idea of what I'm asking. So years and years ago, I worked in corporate, and I should not have been there. It was not, I was just trying to please my parents and make money, and that's why I had a corporate job. But, of course, I got fired because I wasn't very good at, at uh, trying to sell, uh, sell what I was trying to sell. So I got fired, and just to give myself some time to kind of readjust and figure out what I was going to do with my life, I started working in restaurants as a waitress, and made a fraction of what I had been making before. And so I really had trouble um, making payments, making my car payments and apartment payments, all that kind of stuff. So I went to my restaurant where I was working, and I was waitressing, and I come out, I was exhausted from a very busy shift, and no car. There's no car in the parking lot. My car was gone. It literally got repossessed. (laughs) <laughs> it got repossessed and I had funny two, now, not funny then. Yeah. <laughs> I had two hundred dollars uh in cash from my previous um like week's wages or something like or tips uh that I was collecting and I had it in the trunk of my car and I'd never found it again. You know, I went to get my belongings out of my repossessed car and basically everything was stolen out of it. <laughs> So that was really a low point, very embarrassing. But you know what? It's like you have that kind of experience, or for me anyway, and I just uh, I just will never go there again. So anyway, I'm just putting this out there to other people. What is, let's start with you, Tina. What is the most embarrassing thing that happened for you money-wise, communication-wise, whatever you want to choose? Oh, let's see. Um, ones that are safe for public consumption. Okay. Um <laughs> Well, one that comes to mind is um, right when I was getting married, so this is going back nearly nearly 20 years, um, I had been um, fired once again because I am not meant to work for somebody else. I'd been working for a uh, dentist's office as a receptionist because I was about to go to graduate school. So uh, with a psychology undergraduate degree, there's not a lot you can do with that degree and make much money. So I was working for a dentist's office. And I didn't want to sit around doing nothing. It was a boring job. So I decided I was going to fix the client. So in my downtime, I went and refiled this entire closet-sized room of of files. And uh, they fired me for that because I hadn't uh, asked permission to put things in correct alphabetical order. So (laughs) basically, I made the office manager look bad. I didn't mean to, but I did. So... We lost uh, a bunch of income right before we were getting married, and we were moving out of state. And um, uh, I was getting unemployment, and um, I made the mistake of turning down a a job interview for a temp agency that I had worked for in the past because we were just about to move, and I just didn't want to waste anybody's time. And that um, those folks uh, reported me unemployment and not only did I lose the unemployment benefits but I also had to pay back the couple of hundred dollars that they had already given me uh, just because I had turned down that interview not knowing that that was you know a thing and so we ended up having pretty much no money to move to do this move and I'm, I'm still today not sure exactly how we managed to do that but we did for my graduate school degree <laughs> What a great way to get started. It was a great way to start a marriage, let me tell you. We made it. It's been almost 20 years. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Tina. Sharon, how about you? Most embarrassing thing, money-wise, Well, this was, this was years ago. It, yeah, it was years ago. It combines both and money. There was a time that I had met someone, a salesperson, and they were very, very skilled at sales. And I knew I couldn't afford what they were selling, but they had so much skill and understanding of tapping into your emotions and figuring out your belief system, what motivates you, how to persuade you, that I ended up buying this thing I couldn't afford. I mean, I literally couldn't afford. Then all of a sudden, after sort of you leave that person's airspace, 
face, shall we say, the glow starts to fade, the excitement starts to fade, and reality sets in. (laughs) How did that just happen? (laughs) Well, long story short, I mean, I I was able to uh, actually figure out how to afford it and able to, you know, work with what had just happened. But that actually entire episode there, that shock and awe of what just happened to me during that sales process set me on this life course of I've got to learn communication. I've got to learn what just happened. I really want to know so I can see it coming. I can see the different skill sets that these people more skilled than I at the time were using to create these feelings, these emotions, and tap into that I've got to have it episodes so I can, for me, it was very personal, but I turned it into life work. And that's so I can make more rational decisions. And the one thing I've learned from that is, you know, we all buy on emotion, and then we rationalize it later. <laughs> so part of my life work is getting people to understand what are these techniques that people use, and how can you see them coming? <laughs> so, I mean, I still remember just walking away from there with this glow and then all of a sudden sort of out of his airspace going, oh, my gosh, what just happened? (laughs) Oh, Oh, what have I done? Yes. And I'm even dying to know what was that technique he used. (laughs) Maybe we can use it. (laughs) Yeah, really. What was that technique he used? It was just really tapping into your emotion, you said, but. Right. Tapping into understanding. It's a questioning strategy where he is called eliciting your personal metaphor. And it's a questioning strategy to understand what motivates you. Who are you? It happens very quickly. Two or three questions. You can understand what motivates somebody. And then all of a sudden, then you just have to work those motivations. Now, I'm we're not getting into the ethics of this. It's just a technique that you need to be aware of that's out there that happens really, really quick. And excellent salespeople know that technique of eliciting your, eliciting your personal metaphor. And then they really understand what motivates you and how to persuade you. Right. Wow. What a great story, though. It really uh, um, kicked you into the next paradigm of your life. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Absolutely, and I look at it now going, that was probably the best, one of the best things that ever happened to yeah. me because I love what I'm doing and it propelled me into doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But at the time, it was sort of shock and awe. <laughs> exactly. Same with me. You know, I've been very credit conscious ever since my car got repossessed. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I'm dying to hear Ellen's story while we still have just a few minutes here. Yes, Ellen. Yeah. So I um, just started telling the story about a year and a half, two years ago, because it was so embarrassing. I blocked it out and never wanted to talk about it, especially because it's a money thing for a financial advisor. But it was um, 2000, it was 1998, I'm sorry. And um, markets were still kind of high. I had switched my business model where my income, the way I got paid, um, changed a bit. At the same time, my husband left his job. I had two little kids. And I remember sitting in my office, right where I'm sitting right now at my desk, shut the door. It's January in Chicago, which is already upsetting. Um, And I'm on the phone with my business coach basically crying. I'm not a crier. And what I said to her is, Phyllis, I can't believe I'm in this position that I'm in. We um, have barely any money coming in. I've got this babysitter at home watching my kids. Stephen left his job. My income dropped substantially, and we are running up credit card debt. And here I am, a financial advisor. Like, how I, I would be mortified if anyone knew that about me. And I'm sobbing, and Phyllis, in the sweetest, most beautiful way possible, after she listened, she said to me, Ellen, I've known you for a long time now. I know you know how important it is what you say and what you think about your money, and I have to tell you, it sounds like you're coming from a place of scarcity right now. I'm like, you're right. And kind of pulled myself together and realized if I wanted to make it different, I had to stop blaming Stephen, the situation, you know, all these other things. And I made a a big decision then to do whatever it takes to turn the situation around. Of course, within ethics, right? Like. Oh, my goodness. Alan, that is a phenomenal story, and I don't want the music to cut you off. 
So I'm just going to have say thank you to both of you, Ellen and Sharon, for joining us here today on the show. And uh, you can find Ellen Rogan at ellenrogan.com and Sharon Saylor at sharonsaylor.com. That makes it easy. And uh, you can also go back to the website for our show, theevolvingleadershow.com, and get all the show notes about this information, everything we talked about today. So guess what? You don't have to pull over or set down your uh, latte and write down notes. It's all there for you at theevolvingleadershow.com. So just head on over there. Check it out. And every week, we're bringing you leaders from around the globe to help you grow your influence and uh, have a great time in your business. We will see you next week. Thanks for joining us today on Evolving Leaders from EBC Radio. And remember, the adventure has just begun. Get all the resources from today's show at theevolvingleadershow.com. And join us again next week where Leaders of Vision inspired you to transform your ideas into reality.